Last week, I started into kind of this two weeks on the model of prayer that Jesus gave his disciples in uh, Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And so this morning, I want to go back to that passage and to look at the rest of the prayer. And I want to just say, just by way of introducing it again, that Jesus is offering a model. He's offering one way of praying in this long sermon series in Matthew chapter 6. He's addressing this question of uh, when we pray, how should we pray? And he's not giving a very uh, hard formula or recipe. Uh, He's giving one. He gives multiple ways to pray uh, throughout his ministry. And this happens to be one of the most popular, most common ones that he gives his disciples, probably because it's in the Sermon on the Mount itself. Um, And I want to make just a couple of observations uh, before I get to Matthew chapter 6 again. Uh, And the first of which is, I don't want you to think as you hear me talk about prayer, that prayer is easy. In fact, the, the truth of the matter is that prayer is hard. In a minute, I'll tell you that prayer is natural and that it is normal. But I want to I want to tell you and I want you to be clear to hear me say that it is not easy to pray, that the habit of prayer, the life of prayer for you to cultivate it, for me to cultivate it, for us as a church to be a praying people, for us to be a church that prays is hard. It takes courage. It takes effort to pray, and it's hard sometimes to inspire courage in our lives or to, or to receive courage in our lives. And I came across um, a book a couple of years ago read from J.I. Packer and Carolyn Nystrom, and they talk about the entire book, different uh, uh, what prayer is and how to pray and how to develop this sort of um, this life of prayer. And one of the things they say early on in the book is that deep down, all of us have found that prayer isn't as easy as some people have made it sound or as easy as we ourselves had hoped it would be once our technique was straightened out. You know, they, they say in this book before this quote that you can have all of these techniques and it's good to have them. You can learn different ways to pray, different um, 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 yeah, methods of prayer, as it were. And, and, and you'd be mistaken, though, if you think that the method and the way to pray makes prayer easier. A lot makes prayer hard. We, we, have to have, uh, we have to have a basic uh, trust when we pray. We have to have a knowledge of God when we pray. We have to have some, uh, some kind of faith in order to communicate with a God that we cannot see. It takes work uh, to turn ourselves in God's direction. It takes work to turn our ears to the voice of God. The second thing that I just want to sp- speed through is that prayer not only is hard, but it's normal. It's normal. Prayer is natural. It's so natural that you will think over the last seven or eight days of times when you have prayed and you have not meant to pray. You didn't intend to pray. You have prayed in your car going downtown when some cabbie yanks in front of you. You have prayed on the interstate and somebody's driving too slow and you're late. You have prayed. You have whispered prayers like, Jesus, you've whispered prayers like, oh my God. And you didn't necessarily realize it's a distorted 
way of doing what is very natural, and that is communicating with a God that you don't see. Prayer is is as normal in our relationships with God as you talking to people that you love and you care about. The question for most of us, for most of us, is not whether we're praying. The question is how we're praying. So it's it's normal, it's natural. Number three, prayer, uh, well, number three, you can learn how to pray. And for some of you, this is good news because you're not one of those folks with the spiritual gift of this or that type of prayer. You sit here and you're like, well, prayer, oh, I think we're supposed to do it. And I want to tell you that you should be encouraged because you can learn how to pray. For some of you, you sigh and you sort of moan when you hear about the spiritual habit and, you know, you hear about the second week, two, two sermons on prayer. And, and I want to tell you um, that, that you can learn how to have this way of being, this way of listening and communicating with God in your life. And we're going to hear more about how to communicate with God in the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds so simple, uh, and for some of you, it's so simple that it's almost a waste of breath to say. It borders on a waste of breath. But others of us hear this short truth that we can learn how to pray, and there's something in us that kind of clicks. There's something in us that opens up just a bit because we want God. Pastor Peter talked in that video about being known in the context of our community, and that is a reflection. Our being known, our wanting to be known, our being known in this church is a reflection of an inside need at the bottom of all of us to be known by God. And you can cultivate this. The fourth thing is uh, that committing to prayer committing to a way of praying, a life of praying, takes work. And I've already sort of alluded uh, to this. It means work for us. It means work for people who listen to Jesus, who turn our ears to a sermon that he preaches, who turn our hearts to it, and hears him say, when you pray, pray like this. You, You can't just wake up in the morning and have a deep rapport with God. You, you can no more do that than you can with the people that you have cultivated friendships and relationships with in your life. You didn't wake up one day and, and know intimately your best friends. You didn't wake up one day and get your spouse. You didn't wake up one day and understand the nuances of your older sister or your younger brother. It took you time. It took you attention. It took you time. It took you attention. It took irritation. It took frustration for you to know those people. And why wouldn't it be the case for you getting to know God? It is, in fact, the case. It takes work. And so prayer is a part of that getting to know God. Now, um, um, last week I talked about the the passage of Matthew chapter 6, the first uh, part of this, and just kind of gave you an overview of sorts. And we talked about two phrases in the Lord's Prayer or in the model of prayer. And this morning... I want to talk about a couple of more phrases. And so look, if you have your Bibles at Matthew chapter 6, 
We'll go to the same verses we were at last week. If you have your Bible, look there. If not, look up here uh, at the screen. I'm going to ask you to exercise your best voice and read Scripture uh, with me. Uh, If I drop out because I have more to say, you keep reading, all right? So uh, if you're asleep, this is the time to wake up and read, read, read. Let's go. I am going to resist my uh, desire to be Hongian or Hongian when Pastor Hong will connect a message to the last message. He often gives us about 20, 30 minutes of that last message. And uh, there are reasons for that because y'all only come to church on first and third and second and fourth Sundays. Uh, it's like we down south again, you know. It's, uh, I'm just kidding. Sort of. No. Um, no, that, that, that may be part of the reason why he does that. The other part of it is that, that there's a repetition to our messages, right? There's a repetition to it. And there has to be a repetition to the truth of Scripture because that's the only way that we live scripture, that we hear it over and over again, that we're encouraged to see it from a different angle. And so there's a sameness to the gospel. There's a sameness to the Christian tradition. There's a sameness to what we teach. And so you're going to get quite a bit of repetition. Um, It's intentional. It's dangerous when we say things that are new because there's nothing new about what we say. Nothing new. That being said, the only thing I will sort of repeat from last week, because because it really, really anchors uh, what comes next, is that when Jesus says that for us to pray like this, our Father, remember that he is not giving us a title for God, but he is giving us access to his relationship with God. And he is not saying to us who have, you know, dirty and cracked and messy and spoiled relationships with our parents that we should have metaphors like father for the sake of having it. He's not saying that we should sort of look over the bad experiences that we've had in our early lives with our families of origin or whatever the case may be. He's saying something else. He's saying when you pray, you get all that I have in my relationship with God. I call God Father, and I am giving to you in this way of being known by God, in this way of hearing God and communicating with God, I am giving you all I have. So when you pray, call God ours. Now, the phrases for today that I want to sort of pay attention to and guide you in paying attention to uh, are in the second part of the prayer, in the last part of the prayer. And the first words that I want you to wrap your heart around are the words, give us. Jesus says that we ought to pray, give us this day. 
And he goes into what for me is a prayer for real needs. We pray that God would meet real needs. We pray that God would meet specific needs. Every time I come to this part of the prayer or when I say the prayer, even if I forget uh, the words to the prayer uh, from time to time, uh, when, I, when I come to this phrase, I always think about the Hebrew people in the, in the book of Exodus, the Hebrew people in, uh, in, in Genesis when they're coming into Egypt. I think about them. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were liberated by God. Moses led them and they went on their way into the wilderness, scripture says, so that they could worship God. And while they were in the wilderness, uh, they experienced God giving them food every day. Scripture says that they ate manna. They ate um, food substance that was sort of unknown. I'm told that it's coriander. Scholars say it's sort of coriander seed of sorts. And, and they ate this, this bread-like, uh, seed-like substance in the wilderness and, and they couldn't eat it uh, more than one day. They couldn't eat leftovers. Uh, they, they couldn't put it in the refrigerator. There was no refrigeration. They couldn't store it. They couldn't preserve it. They had to eat it the day they received it or it would spoil and they would get sick if they ate spoiled food. And when they wanted meat uh, outside of bread, they ate quail. And I, I think about them when Jesus says for us to pray this way. They ate one day at a time and And from the second, maybe the last part of the first book in the Bible, all throughout Israel's story, all throughout the Gospels and the epistles in the New Testament, we are encouraged in one way or another to trust God for today. Many of us, maybe most of us, probably not all of us, but many of us, struggle with this prayer. I've already told you it's not the only way to pray. I've already said it's not the recipe for prayer. It's one way to pray, as Jesus tells his disciples. And many of us struggle. We're so distant from praying for today's needs. Give us food today. Give us what we need for now. Give us right now what we have to have. Do you pray like this? Do you pray this simple um, phrase of daily need or, or do you pray for next year's need? Do you pray for God to to meet the real needs in your life or in your brother's life, in your sister's life, in the person you love's life? Or do you pray for God to meet an imagined need that is far away, that's somewhere in the middle of a clouded future? Now, it's not wrong to pray for those unknowns, those, those, those aspirations, those things that we want tomorrow and next year and 10 years from now. It's not wrong to pray the plan that you have for your life. However, Jesus is pushing us to pray for something that, that at least 
pushes us to another way of trusting God. You can pray your way, your plan, but are you able as well to pray that God's kingdom would come? Because God's kingdom might not be your plan. And you can pray for your plan, but can you pray for the kingdom of God, for the daily provision of God? And are you willing, child of God, community of God, to feel the tension when the kingdom of God comes over and overtakes the plan that you have for your life? Can you pray this simple way of trusting, this humble way of asking God for right now's need? Now, some of us have no problem doing this. Some of us have no other option than to pray like this. Some of us hear this sort of future. My future is, you know, 10 minutes from now, and I'm praying for 10 minutes from now. But many of us, if not most of us, and probably not all of us, have struggles praying for today. I was in a bookstore this week, and I was looking for a book, and um, I asked the woman at the counter to help me find some books and we got to talking about prayer and you know maybe that's not a weird thing to ask for a book and start talking about various things and so I'm talking to this woman about prayer and she says to me that she uh, had one of the best books uh, that came to her immediately when we got talking about prayer. It's a book by a, a missionary named Hudson Taylor. And the book is called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor was a missionary, maybe one of the first or the first to China. And he writes about his spiritual life. And she was telling me about this book that changed her way of praying. She said that he writes about um, asking God for everything. That in his book, this Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, his spiritual secret is that he doesn't ask people for anything. He asks God for everything. He doesn't ask people for a cup of coffee, she said. He asks God for everything. Now, some of you hear that and you kind of roll your eyes and say, this is unrealistic. This is kind of crazy. And, and here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think, I think Hudson Taylor and what he did in his life is a way of grabbing this phrase from Jesus. Give me right now what I need. Before I get caught up into the rationalism of it, before I sort of make sense of it, before I deconstruct it, before I talk myself down to asking you for something so small that it makes me feel really small, and I mean, indeed, that probably isn't a bad thing in the presence of God who created all things, but, but, but before I ask you for this small thing, before I talk myself out of asking you for it, Jesus is saying, pray this way. Can you imagine in your life if you asked people for 10% of the things less than you asked them for and you asked God for 10% more than you asked God for? I look at uh, some of the writings of an old preacher from centuries ago, John Chrysostom, and sometimes I quote him, sometimes I just sort of read his stuff and try to chew on it. And he says of these words in Matthew 6, he says that we pray uh, not for riches according to Jesus. He says we don't pray for luxurious needs. We don't pray for extravagant clothing or wastefulness. He says, but we pray in this verse only for bread. 
that sticks to me, that stays with me, because like a few of you, and and maybe like many of you, I want to look at this passage, and I want to broaden what Jesus says we should pray for. I want Jesus to say we should pray for vague needs. I want Jesus to say that we should pray for any kind of need we have. And again, I don't think that's incorrect. I think when we take all of what Scripture says, and the various ways of praying in Scripture, it's fair, and it's good, and it's necessary for us to pray all kinds of things. But I think in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying to us, when you pray for all those other things, Christian, disciple of Jesus, follower of mine, are you asking God for the most basic thing that you need today, right now? And are you trusting God for the immediate need that you have right now? And I I realize that some of you are sitting and you're saying, of course I do. Of course I do. And some of you are sitting here and you're saying, no, because I did that and it didn't work. I asked God for that and it didn't happen. I asked God for that and my prayer went unanswered. And and I want to say something just really quickly about unanswered prayer. Jesus doesn't deal with it in this text and I'm not going to stay in this, but but I do want to say something as careful as I can. Number one, I want to tell you that when we ask God why prayers are not answered, we have a hard time finding in Scripture God answering that why question. My favorite preacher, one of, yeah, he is my favorite preacher, says, says that the Bible is not a why book. The Bible is much more a how-to book. The, 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 the Bible raises more questions than the Bible asks. The Bible leaves us, when we ask this why question, often unsatisfied. And, and we can ask God why. I think it's fair. I think it's good. I think it nurtures us and it matures us. But, but the Bible doesn't give us a lot of, well, this is why God doesn't answer prayers. And so I, I, I want to tell you uh, with your unanswered prayers kind of in your face as you hear me talk about asking God for real needs in your life, I want to tell you that I don't have an answer to the question why. I can make up some things, and I mean, we can talk about that. There are probably better ways to talk to you about that than in a sort of public fashion like this. I want to tell you, though, to come back to what Jesus said and to do it. I want to push you who, uh, you know, have a long list of unanswered requests and unmet needs to come back again and to say to God, who is yours, give me what I need today. And, 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 and before we go, I'm going to invite us as a church to do that with you because some of you are standing here and you're saying, I can't do that. Some of you are sitting and you're saying, I refuse to do that. Some of you are saying, I will not pray that because I've already prayed it. And I'm still sitting here with the thing for months that I've asked God to do. And I'm still hungry for the bread. And here's the thing. When you can't do what Jesus invites us to do and pray for God to give you the bread, the food that you need, we'll do it for you. Jesus says this phrase in this prayer, give us. We pray for real needs. The second second phrase in this prayer is and forgive us. We pray for forgiveness. 
The scriptures say that we all sin. And for those of us occasionally who uh, refute that, the scripture has labels for us as well. And uh, look with me at a few verses. We'll look at one in Ecclesiastes, one in 1 John, and one in Proverbs. Um, The first in Ecclesiastes 7 and 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Listen to how scripture is talking about our need uh, for God's forgiveness. 1 John uh, 1 and 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Proverbs, Proverbs 28 and 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Jesus uh, has these sort of uh, spiky words in this prayer. When you pray, ask for forgiveness. Praying uh, for God to forgive you is a job. We have to ask God uh, to, to open our eyes to things that we don't want to see about ourselves, to sins that we'd rather not admit about ourselves. To pray for God to forgive us of our sins is to ask God to pardon us for things that we'd rather keep hidden, that we'd not really discuss with God or anybody else, much less confess to any other person. When we, when we pray for forgiveness, we have to uh, admit and accept wrongdoing, wrong being, wrongness. And nobody wants to do that, right? And here's the truth. If we're going to be able to pray for forgiveness of all of our sins, uh, be they sins in your individual life or sins in our church, Jesus has to enable this in us. Jesus has to give us the ability to pray for forgiveness. The Spirit has to give us the ability to do this. Jesus is the one who has enough of a servant's identity, who is enough of a servant to take upon himself all of the sins of the world. Jesus is the one, remember, who who is majestic and yet condescends and becomes human and carries for us sin. Jesus is sin. Less and he becomes sin for us. And he is so humble that he can do these things. For he can become sin for us and carry our sins to the cross. And that is the one, this one who knew no sin but became sin for us, is the one who has to give you and me and every church open in his name the ability to repent of our sins. Jesus has to draw us to repentance. He has to pull us to confession of sin. He says, forgive us. And as much as this is an individual prayer, it is uh, the church's prayer. It is a corporate prayer. It It is a way that we can always pray. We can ask God to forgive us for overlooking um how God could use us in our city. We can ask God to forgive us for not doing what God has called us to do. We can ask God to forgive us for recklessness toward his creation. We can ask God to forgive us for closing our eyes to things and ignoring things. We can ask God over and over to forgive us 
Jesus invites us to pray for forgiveness, but he, he doesn't stop there. He says to us in this same phrase that we pray for forgiveness of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is the part of the prayer that uh, I take a special uh, terror with uh, because it's, it's hard to forgive people who sin against you. And, and part of the reason why it's hard is because people don't always know they're sinning against you. And so people can act and operate as if everything between you is fine and you're sitting with a grudge because they've not acknowledged what they've done. It's not easy for you to pray uh, this prayer because you don't know uh, how far you got to go back to forgive people who have sinned against you. In order for God, Jesus says, after this prayer, if you don't forgive those folks, why do you assume your Father will forgive you? It's hard to pray this way because people don't know when they sin against you. It's hard to pray this way because there's something much more satisfying in watching people sort of, you know, deal with their wrong and sort of just be wrong and grovel and, 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 and you know, apologize and, you know, for you to withhold that and not accept that. It's much better. I mean, it's much better for the conscience, I think, you know, the unnatural conscience that is for the Christian, right? Come on. Don't you, don't you ever feel that maybe it's not joy, but it's some kind of happiness when you know that uh, somebody has sinned against you and you have them? You just have them. Well, for two or three of us, that's why it's hard for us to pray this. Because Jesus is basing um, the way we come to God for forgiveness of our own sins upon the way we free other people from their sins against us. Now, uh, Jesus, Jesus says in this model that forgiveness is expected in his community. He says that for you to be my disciple, you who are listening to this sermon on the mount, for you to be mine is for you to forgive. It's the litmus test of discipleship. It is, it is the way uh, you prove, if I can put it in that language, that you belong to Christ. You act like Christ in this way. And, um, and it's hard because for me, you know, when I don't forgive people, I, I, am, I, am not, I am not sitting at the cross, frankly. And I'm not looking at the cross that puts me on the same place with the people who sin against me, and I'm not remembering what happens at the cross. So here's a couple of things uh, that forgiving others means. The first thing is that when you forgive others, Jesus asks, says that we can pray for God to forgive us, we can forgive others, and these two are contingent. When you forgive others, it means that you pray for them. Number one, it means that we pray for them. And the tricky part is it's not just our enemies who we're talking about. People who love you sin against you. People who care about you sin against you. Family members, church people, people who are supposed to have their heads on straight. You know, and sometimes uh, we're talking about family members. Most of my family's head gets off a lot. Um, but, uh, but in family, in church, 
Those are people who often sin against us, and we have to forgive them, and it makes it much more difficult because people who love you are not supposed to sin against you, and they do. And we pray for them. We pray these words for them. We pray as we give our hearts to God that, uh, that, that their needs would be met in the same way that our daily needs would be met. We talk to God and listen to God on behalf of people who sin against us. The second thing that forgiving others means is it means that we give to them. Now, now, when you give to uh, a church, when you give to a person, it shapes you, it forms you into being a generous person. And if you are not a generous person, you will not be able to forgive. You being able to give pardon and room for somebody to grow after a wrong means that you have a largeness in your spirit that only comes from being generous. So if you're tight with what you have, try to open up that hand a little bit and you will find that the Spirit of God in you giving to people makes your heart more generous. And generosity makes forgiveness a little bit easier. The act of giving sets you up to forgive others. I'll give you my attention. I won't accept your apology yet, but I'll listen to you. I'll read your email. I'll acknowledge that you called me. I don't want to talk, but I got your message. Those acts of generosity in a relationship opens you up for God to draw you to, huh, you're forg- you don't recognize it as forgiveness, but your heart is opening. You're giving. The third or the fourth thing is that for, uh, for forgiving others means that we take as many steps in love as we can. Now, some of you, uh, now every wrong is different, and some of you have been more severely wronged by people who love you, by people who hate you, by enemies. And, and here's the thing, when it comes to the Christian spiritual life, trying to forgive, trying to forgive people who have wronged you and damaged you. I mean, and we're not talking about, you know, you didn't call me back. We're talking about more severe uh, sins against you. Uh, for, for those of you who who have kind of that in your life. For those of you who are listening to me say, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus either doesn't know what that person did to me, doesn't know what that church I used to go to did to me, because he surely wouldn't know and ask me to forgive. Here's the thing. We have to, we have to, we have to do our best to define forgiveness the way uh, the gospel defines the entire Christian life. It's not a rigid religious formula. And, and I want to break that down to you. As you're thinking of forgiveness as taking steps. And I talked about forgiveness a couple of weeks ago. And the only thing I'll say here, because I did talk about it a couple of weeks ago, is that you, by God's help, and only by God's help, can take a step in the love of God toward another person. And sometimes that is just giving that person attention that you wouldn't give them without the cross in your life. Sometimes it's not saying, I forgive you, but it's saying, hello, I'll acknowledge you. Because in those acts 
of you stretching yourself to obey God, frankly, God is changing you. God is opening you up. The last thing is that forgiving others means that we bring them uh, to the cross. Now, this is a huge act, and what I mean by bringing others to the cross is that the same sacrifice we received from Jesus, the same salvation that we received from Calvary, from the, 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 the offering of Jesus and the person of Jesus, the same thing we get from God, we bring the people who wrong us to that same cross. Um, it is an acknowledgement that there is no difference between your sins and their sins. It is a remembrance. It is you repeating the truth of Scripture that you are a sinner in need of grace. And in the same way that Jesus saved you, claimed you, changed you, he can do that to people who sin against you. Jesus died for the people I don't like. Jesus died for the people who don't like me. Jesus died for the people who, beyond those two, are my enemies. He died for your enemies. And in his dying, he forgave them, but he went beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness is a small part of a thing called love. He loved his enemies. He loved your enemies. And he's calling upon you to do the same thing. Pray that God would forgive you as you forgive those who sin against you. Lastly, this morning, we pray for rescue. Rescue from sin, uh, from the evil one. We pray for God to not allow us to yield to temptation, but to, to rescue us. When I think of rescue, uh, as I was preparing this message at least, I thought about two things. Rescue for me, uh, I, thought, I thought about my sister, my older sister, Y'all pray for my older sister. Uh, sometimes I'm joking. I'm, sometimes I'm serious, and I'm always a little bit of both. Uh, pray for her because uh, I'm serious. Yeah, pray for, pray for my sister. And, so, and in a minute, we're going to spend some time praying, and I'm going to ask some of you to stand next to brothers and sisters uh, who need to be prayed for. And so that's going to be one of the things I stand up for. My sister, I think of her, when I think of rescue, I think of her uh, 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 rescuing me from drowning when I was a little boy, so young I can't even remember anything. I can only remember not being able to see over the water, my head kind of bobbing up. This is where my mind goes when we sing that song. I told you, I get that. Yeah, it's that. It's, a, it's you know, we're talking about uh, uh, some song that Israel did. Every, deeper. Every time we sing that song, my mind goes, this is one of those memories that just kind of comes, and I'm like, I ain't singing that song. You know, I can't sing that. I don't want to go deep. No, stop. I'm just, I'm just kind of opening up there. But, but I rem- rescue for me is her uh, flapping toward me and saving my life. 
Rescue for me, as I thought about it this week, was uh, going on a double date as a teenager with my pastor. This is kind of one of the things you do. You learn how to take a woman out because the pastor takes you and his wife. You And we go to this place, right? We go to this place. We go to this place. By far, one of my, my favorite restaurants is closed. I don't know why. Uh, they closed it. It was called Shuckers. We went to Shuckers on uh, Ontario. And a seafood restaurant had a grand piano, you know, a nice little quaint place. We went there, and the bill comes, and I didn't have my half. (laughs) (laughs) And rescue for me was the pastor saying in a real smooth way, I got you. Now, now, that, now, we don't pray for salvation at the restaurant when the bill comes. We, well, maybe we do, you know, maybe we do. Uh, but Jesus says that we pray for God to rescue us from sin. For God to claim us, snatch us, hold us, come underneath us, and take us from temptation and the evil one. He does not avoid sin and evil in this prayer. He says, don't avoid evil in your life. Go right to it and ask God to claim you. Ask God to keep you. Ask God to to embolden you to yield to your Father and not to your temptation. I hope you can get a picture of what that means in your life because because I get a picture of it in my life and I don't want to give you my pictures. I want you to hear the Spirit of God speaking to you and saying to you, I'm talking about that. When you yield to your temptations, when you sin in your life, God is talking about those things here. And in Jesus' most intimate communication with God, he is saying that we should not avoid what I call our unnatural, natural wrongness, that we should go right to our sin, the thing that chokes our throats in the presence of God, the thing that stops you from confessing that God is God and that you are not. Jesus is saying, bring that evil to your Father in prayer. Bring the attitude, bring the behavior, bring the way of living that stops you from being my disciple. You bring that to your Father in prayer. Bring the thing that takes your life. Bring the thing that removes life a little bit at a time, even though it's enjoyable. The thing that removes your life, removes your joy. Bring that. Scripture pushes us. Thaddeus, can you uh, come on up? Scripture pushes us. Jesus invites us to pray for sin that keeps us from from, from the presence of God, from the love of God. 